Today on Crime on My Mind, we continue our investigation into the murder of 19-year-old Faith Hedgepeth in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Was Faith murdered by someone she knew or a total stranger? What was the motive behind this heinous crime? And who are the possible suspects involved? You're listening to Crime on My Mind, and this is the story of Faith Hedgepeth. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the second part of our deep dive into the case of Faith Hedgepeth. Before we start, I just want to say thank you to everyone who has left us a five-star rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Please keep them coming. Also, make sure to follow us on Instagram at CrimeOnMyMindPod to find all of the photos and other information that I mention in these episodes. Without further ado, Let's continue with our look into Faith's story. We left off last time talking about the 911 call and the mysterious voicemail left in this case. So let's now move on to talking about the murder weapon. According to the autopsy, the murder weapon was a bottle of Bacardi Peach rum. The bottle was found in the bedroom, covered in blood, and completely intact. This has led some people to question whether this bottle actually was the murder weapon, because given how many times it had to have hit Faith, wouldn't it have shattered? Well, in the Breaking Homicide episode that I mentioned last week, they conducted an experiment on a mannequin replicating the blows that Faith experienced, and they found that regardless of the amount of force used to swing the bottle, and the body type of the person doing the swinging, the bottle did not break. So this confirms that this bottle definitely could have been and likely was the murder weapon. This was clearly an absolutely horrific crime, and the damage that was done was so much worse than what would have been needed if the goal was to just kill Faith. To me, it also seems like this was not a premeditated attack. The rum bottle belonged to the girls and was in the bedroom before Faith's murder, so it seems like whoever killed Faith did so in a fit of rage and with the closest item that they could find. There are definitely easier ways to kill someone than bludgeoning them to death, and this person didn't bring a gun or a knife, so... I personally do not think this was a planned attack. Whoever went to Faith's apartment that night did not go there with the intention of killing anyone. It is speculated, based on the position that Faith was found, that she was on the bed when she was first hit. 
The fact that she was naked from the waist down, with her shirt pulled up over her head and a bloody tampon next to her, suggests that sexual assault could have played a role, although, like we said, there was no sign of that on autopsy. She was also found partially wrapped in a quilt, and this is something that I don't hear discussed that often in this case. I think that the fact that she was wrapped partially in a quilt means either one of two things. Either Faith had the quilt on her when she was hit, meaning that she could have possibly been sleeping when she was murdered, or the killer wrapped her in the quilt after the fact. Usually, any sort of covering of the body after a murder can indicate a level of remorse or regret, which would be in contrast to the note that we found, which indicates that the killer was still very rageful even after killing Faith. So, I think it's more likely that Faith had the quilt already on her when she was first hit. This would indicate that Faith was sleeping or maybe lounging in bed when she was surprised by someone, leading to an altercation that ultimately resulted in her death. I also would be very curious to know where Faith usually slept, and I looked and looked for an answer to this question but couldn't find it. Did Faith and Karina typically share the bed at night? Did Faith sleep on the couch normally while Karina slept on the bed and Faith just happened to be using Karina's bed this night since Karina was sleeping over at Jordan's? Because if Faith did in fact normally sleep in the living room, then I think the fact that she was in Karina's room and in her bed at the time indicates that Karina likely wasn't in the apartment when she was killed. I also want to talk about the three thumps that the downstairs neighbor heard at around 2.40am that night, shortly after the girls arrived home from the club. Many people think that these thumps were Faith being murdered, but if that is true, then that means that Faith was murdered right after returning home from the club, and therefore that all of the texts from her phone after that were staged. If I'm being honest, I don't really know what to make of these thumbs. In general, I know that eyewitness testimonies can be quite unreliable, so I tend not to give too much weight to what witnesses say they saw or heard in a case. A lot of times, witnesses will say that they saw or heard something in order to insert themselves into a case. Not saying that that is what is happening here, but it is a possibility. Other times, confirmation bias will result in our brains making a bigger deal out of something we may have heard or seen after we learn that a crime has been committed near us. For example, if I am at home one night and I hear something rustling outside my window, I might not think much of it. But if I learn later that my neighbor's house had been broken into that night, then I might think back to what I heard and assign it more significance. This is just how our brains work, and it isn't really anyone's fault or even something that we consciously do. Witnesses also can easily get times and dates mixed up, so they may say they saw something a day ago, but it was actually two days ago. So, I don't know. I think this witness probably did hear something coming from the girl's apartment that night, Maybe it was at 2.40 a.m., maybe it was a lot later in the night or a lot earlier in the night. 
Maybe this neighbor heard the girls coming home and making a ruckus upstairs and made a note of it because it was so late at night. I personally don't subscribe to the theory that Faith was killed at 2.40 a.m. I know there are people out there who do believe in that theory, but I personally think that the texts later on that night were sent by Faith herself. So whatever noises were made in the apartment at 2.40 a.m., I don't necessarily believe that they were the sound of Faith being attacked or killed. So before we get into possible suspects, let's talk about the FBI profile of this killer. So the FBI has been involved with this case and did create a behavioral profile of the potential killer. This profile says that the killer likely knew Faith and lived close by to her. It also said that his behavior may be noticeably different following the murder and that he might be very interested in the case and investigation and might even try to insert himself into it. So now that we have that profile in our minds, let's move on to possible theories. Again, I want to make this very clear, this is pure speculation. None of these people have ever been named a suspect or person of interest. I'm going to start with the person who Faith, or at least Faith's phone, last communicated with, and that is Ty, her on and off again boyfriend at the time. And since it has been a week since we last heard this text message, I'm going to read it for you again. So at 3.52 a.m., Faith's phone sends this message to Ty. Quote, I know you're probably sleeping, but I just wanted to let you know that I love you. Not a day goes by that you don't cross my mind. I know it will be like this for the rest of my life because of what we've been through together. Besides that, I still feel the same and love you the same. Sorry for being in my feelings, but hey, without feelings, we wouldn't have life. Sometimes I feel like you are my life. End quote. So this was just before 4 a.m. and Ty didn't respond until a few hours later around noon that same day. Breaking Homicide actually was able to interview Ty and in that interview they discovered that he responded with, quote, wow, that means a lot, Faith. I never knew you felt that way, end quote. So Faith's father has seen this text that was sent from Faith's phone to Ty, and he says that he believes this was not written by Faith. And he believes this because of the spelling of your in the first sentence. Faith says, I know you're probably sleeping, and your is spelled Y-O-U-R-E, but without the apostrophe. Faith's father says that Faith was always very specific about her grammar and would never misspell something like this. Ty, on the other hand, does think that it was Faith who sent this message, and he says that even though Faith had never texted him something like this before, she had communicated similar sentiments in person with him. Personally, I do think that it was Faith who sent this text, just because of how lengthy and intimate and personal this text message was, if it wasn't Faith sending this, then it would have had to have been someone incredibly close to her who knew about how intimate her relationship with Ty was. Because as far as I could tell, 
While Ty and Faith weren't secretive about their relationship, it also wasn't like they were an official couple posting on social media and professing their love to each other. So it had to have been either Faith or someone extremely close to Faith who sent this message. And if it isn't Faith who sent this message, if it was in fact the killer, why send this? If you just killed Faith and want to make it seem like she was still alive at this time, why not just send a really short message to someone to prove your alibi and then get out? So I do lean towards Faith being the one who sent this text, which means she was still alive just before 4 a.m. Now, there are people who think that Ty is a viable suspect for this crime. And the main reason they think so is because, according to a few of Faith's friends, Ty was quite controlling and allegedly even abusive in his relationship with Faith. In Breaking Homicide, one of Faith's friends recalls an instance where Faith was in her dorms doing laundry late at night. Faith had a habit of doing laundry pretty late at night, like around midnight or 1 a.m. So this was one of those instances where Faith was in the laundry room at around 1 a.m. and she didn't have her phone with her. So she hadn't responded to a few texts that Ty had sent her. And because of that, Ty came looking for her. He came to her dorm or her apartment where she lived and he started banging on the doors asking for Faith. This friend also mentions that Faith had told her that Ty had hit her once. And it wasn't just this one friend who mentioned this one instance of Ty being controlling and possessive. There was also another friend who used to live with Faith and Karina who also mentioned that Ty could be quite controlling at times. And remember, Ty had texted Faith earlier that night asking if she still wanted to hang out and Faith had never responded. So if his past behavior is an indicator, it is possible that he would have gone looking for Faith once he didn't get a response from her. However, Ty did have an alibi for that night. According to him, he was with another girl all night and we can presume that the police talked to this girl and confirmed that story. So if he was in fact with someone else all night, then he probably couldn't have committed this crime. Of course, that begs the question of whether this girl was actually awake and with him all night, if there was any chance that he might have slipped out for a little bit at one point while she was sleeping or something like that. But I have to give the police the benefit of the doubt and presume that they did thoroughly vet this alibi. Also, this is kind of a tangent, but I have to be honest, the relationship between Faith and Ty really confuses me. I know that they were not in an official relationship, they were very on and off, but when I look at this message that Faith sent to Ty, it seems like something that you would say to someone who you are very much in love with and who you have told before that you love them. And Ty's response to this message also confuses me because he says, I never knew you felt that way. But in interviews that he has done in which he talks about his relationship with Faith, he has said that Faith had expressed sentiments like this to him before. 
So it would seem that he did know that Faith felt that way. Now, maybe this was an instance where they were in the off-again part of their on-and-off-again relationship, so he meant it in a I-didn't-know-that-you-still-loved-me kind of way. I also think it's interesting that in the past, Ty would allegedly come looking for Faith if she didn't respond to his texts, and now here we have Ty sending Faith a text the night before that hey, do you still want to hang out tonight text that Faith never responds to, but in this instance, he doesn't go looking for her. In fact, he cares so little that he spends the night with another girl once he doesn't hear back from Faith. That just seems like a total 180 to me. If he was that controlling and possessive and possibly even abusive earlier in their relationship, I have a hard time believing that that just changed all of a sudden, but it's kind of a he said, she said, and I really don't know what to make out of all of this. Another person who many people think is a viable suspect is Eric, who was Karina's ex-boyfriend. Eric had a history of breaking into the apartment that Faith and Karina shared only two months before Faith was killed, and he did that twice to the point where a restraining order had to be placed. He also lived in the same apartment complex as the girls at the time of the murder, and Faith even said that she believed that Eric wanted to kill her due to her role in convincing Karina to get the restraining order against him. And we know that love and jealousy and honestly domestic violence is one of the biggest motives for murder. I mean, so many instances of murder of women in this country are due to intimate partner violence. So even though Faith wasn't the one who Eric was in a relationship with, he did allegedly believe that she was a barrier to his relationship with Karina. So in terms of motive and past behavior, Eric certainly ticks all of these boxes. There's also those strange messages that Eric sent to his friend shortly before the night Faith was killed, asking for forgiveness for what he was about to do. He also changed his Facebook profile picture just a few days after the murder to a banner that said, quote, Dear Lord, forgive me for all of my sins and the sins I may commit today. Protect me from the girls who don't deserve me and the ones who wish me dead today. End quote. This is really weird behavior to me. The whole asking for forgiveness ahead of time is, in my mind, the most damning thing because that was, I believe, either the night Faith was killed or the night before. And so even if this was just a coincidence that he happened to send that text to his friend, the fact that it was so close to the time that Faith was killed is really one hell of a coincidence. And that's not all. The day that Faith's body was discovered, after the police and crime scene techs had arrived, Eric reportedly tried to get past the crime scene tape and get into the apartment building, but he was told that he wasn't allowed to, of course. Now, he did live in that same apartment complex, so it makes sense that he would have been in that area at that time, but he didn't live in that same building as Faith and Karina. I also wasn't sure if he was just trying to get into that 
building that they lived in, that Faith and Karina lived in, or if he was trying to get into their specific apartment. Uh, I think it's most likely that he was just trying to get into that building because him trying to get into the actual apartment would have been incredibly suspicious, but I'm not sure. And as if that wasn't enough to set off red flags, he also allegedly hung around the building even after being told off and talked to media about Faith, saying how sweet she was and how shocked he was by all of this. This is definitely strange because we know that Eric did not like Faith. I mean, it has been reported that Faith said that Eric wanted to kill her. So you would think that Eric at this point would be pretty much the prime suspect in this case. However, Eric was questioned by police and his DNA was cleared. And I don't know if that was enough to completely rule him out as a suspect, but I do know that he has never been named officially as a suspect or person of interest in this case. Now let's move on to what is probably the most popular theory about this case, which is that Karina is responsible for this crime. And if you look on the internet, if you search Faith's name and look on Reddit or Web Sleuths about this case, then you will see person after person blaming Karina and pointing the finger at her and saying she must have done this. And there are a few things that people point to when they are trying to make this argument. So let's dive into those now. A lot of people think it's strange that Karina was supposedly feeling sick at 2am when she and Faith left the club, but then by 4am she was feeling well enough to go over to some guy's house. I honestly don't think this is that strange. I think anyone who has ever been in college will tell you that puke and rally is a big thing. So I don't really think this is all that weird. Also, there were more than two hours between the time that Karina wasn't feeling well and when she left with Jordan, so I don't think it's inconceivable that she would have been feeling better by that time. Another thing that many people who are in the anti-Karina camp point to is the fact that Karina left the door unlocked. Now, apparently there was a reason why she did that. There was only one key to the apartment, and so Karina left it with Faith that night so that Faith could come get Karina in the morning from Jordan's place. This door was one of those doors that you can't lock from the outside without a key, so Karina figured that Faith would come get her in the morning and lock the door behind her when she left. Now, I agree that it probably wasn't the smartest idea for Karina to leave the door unlocked at 4 in the morning with her roommate sleeping alone inside, especially when you have an ex-boyfriend living down the road who has a history of breaking into your apartment. I don't know why she would do that. I mean, maybe she just wasn't thinking straight, but that definitely was not the best decision to make in that situation. But I don't necessarily think that this proves that she intentionally left the door unlocked with some sort of malicious intent. 
People also say that Karina probably called Marisol that morning because she needed someone to walk into the apartment and find Faith with her so that she wouldn't be the one finding Faith's body alone. Derek Lavasser is the host of Crime Weekly and also the host of Breaking Homicide, so he is very familiar with this case and was the one who did all of the research on the ground in North Carolina for that Breaking Homicide episode. He interviewed Marisol on camera for the show, and he has stated that during that interview, He actually asked Marisol why she and Karina went into the apartment together. Was it because Karina had directly asked or tried to hint at Marisol in any way that she wanted her to come into the apartment with her? And Marisol apparently said no. She said it was entirely her, Marisol's idea to go with Karina into the apartment so that they could wake Faith up together and then drive to school together. So I have gone back and forth on Karina as a suspect a lot. And honestly, I don't know if I have a super strong opinion as to whether or not she was involved. But if you had to make me choose, I would probably be in the camp of thinking that Karina wasn't involved. And I know that's an unpopular opinion, and I will probably be crucified for this, but there are just so many things that don't add up for me. So let's walk through this together. If we are to assume that Karina is the killer, then those texts from Faith's phone to Brandon and Ty had to have been staged. Because Karina left with Jordan at 4.20 a.m., We know that that has been confirmed by phone records and by Jordan himself, as well as, I believe, another friend who was in the car with Jordan when he came to pick up Karina. And the texts from Faith's phone to Brandon and Ty were sent shortly before 4 a.m. So even if Karina killed Faith right after that last text to Ty, that still isn't enough time for her to commit the murder, clean herself up, call Jordan to pick her up, and then leave. Could Karina have killed Faith earlier in the night, maybe at 2.40 a.m. when the downstairs neighbor heard those noises, and then sent those text messages to Ty and Brandon from Faith's phone in order to create some sort of an alibi for herself? Yes, it's possible. But let's consider this. We know that Faith's phone sends that lengthy text message to Ty at 3.52 a.m. Also at 3.52 a.m., Karina's phone makes a call to Brandon. So if we are to believe that it is Karina who sent this text to Ty, she would have had to essentially have been sending this text from Faith's phone while also calling Brandon from her own phone at the same time. Also, why would she be continuously calling and texting Brandon if she had just killed Faith? She would have been busy cleaning up the scene, cleaning up herself. Now, maybe you think that Karina was calling Brandon because she needed him to come pick her up so that she could have an alibi, and when he didn't pick up, she ended up calling Jordan instead. That's possible. 
But the thing that doesn't make sense to me then is why also send that text from Faith's phone asking Brandon to come over? The text from Faith to Brandon said this, Hey B, can you come over please? Rosario needs you more than you know. Please let her know you care. If Karina just killed Faith, why would she now be asking Brandon to come over when she knows that if he does in fact come over, then he'll be walking into a crime scene? Also, if Karina went to all this trouble to stage the crime scene to look like a sexual assault, then why did she leave that note behind? If she was so meticulous in crafting this alibi and making sure she left the door unlocked, why did she leave that note behind? That note essentially screams this was a personal attack. This was someone who knew Faith. So if she went to so much trouble to stage an intruder attack, she would have likely thought about the fact that leaving that note behind would instantly point the finger at herself. And I know it probably sounds like I'm cutting Karina too much slack. And I'm not saying that she definitely wasn't involved. I do admit that it's a crazy coincidence that the same night she leaves the apartment at 4 in the morning is the night that her roommate is killed. Karina also hasn't done any public interviews about this case, which I think has only increased the speculation surrounding her possible involvement. I do believe she has been cooperative with Chapel Hill Police. I think they mentioned something like she's been interviewed at least 10 times by now, but Faith's father does mention that Karina doesn't take his calls anymore, and he says that her silence about Faith's death has been incredibly disappointing to him. So I get why people point the finger at Karina a lot. There is a lot that points to her. And honestly, sometimes I agree with these people when they say that. But when you look further into it, there are just too many things that don't add up for me to say that Karina was definitely involved. So now we've reached the point where I share my theory about what happened. And I don't know if I have one particular theory that I absolutely believe in. This is one of those cases where no matter what suspect you pick or what theory you have, it doesn't line up 100%. I'm not 100% satisfied with any theory that I've seen about this case. But I think this one, this theory that I'm about to tell you, is the one that makes the most sense to me. And that is that maybe Faith had a stalker. Someone who was either in her social circle or right outside of it and who was infatuated with her, maybe even obsessed with her. And possibly someone whose advances she had rejected before. Maybe this person was at the club that night and saw Faith with some other guys and got jealous and so took the chance to follow Faith and Karina home. Maybe he saw Karina then leave with Jordan and took this as his chance to strike. Now there is the question of if someone went there that night with the intention of killing Faith, then why didn't they bring their own murder weapon? Why did they use something that just happened to be there, the rum bottle? Well, maybe he didn't go over there to kill Faith that night. 
maybe he went over there to try and win her over and she rejected him so he went into a fit of rage and attacked her and then left this note afterwards. And maybe this is someone who isn't even directly in Faith's social circle. Maybe she didn't even know that he existed or if she did, his existence was so insignificant to her that she never brought it up with her friends. That would explain why police have probably never questioned him and so his DNA has never been collected. I know that this theory about an intruder is pretty unpopular because people tend to think that this crime was committed by someone who had a personal connection to Faith, someone who had knowledge of her social circle and who had intimate knowledge of her. And I agree with that. I think maybe this guy believed that he had a personal connection to Faith, or maybe he was so infatuated and obsessed with her that he did have intimate knowledge of her. And so to him, this crime was personal, even if Faith didn't necessarily know him or wasn't close to him. So that is, to me, the theory that I tend to lean towards. But like I said, no theory in this case 100% leaves me satisfied. And I think that's why this case is so fascinating. And so there are two other theories that I also think are possible. The first is a theory that Crime Weekly podcast actually brought up. And when I first heard this theory, my brain like exploded. I was like, whoa, because I had never thought about this possibility before. But when I heard about this, it kind of really made sense. So Crime Weekly was able to pull up an Instagram post that Brandon allegedly made on the two-year anniversary of Faith's death. So remember, Brandon is Karina's ex-boyfriend, who both Karina and Faith were trying to contact that night. So this Instagram post was a picture of Faith's initials tattooed on him. And in the caption, he talks about how he spoke to Faith at the club that night that she died. He goes on to talk about how much Faith meant to him. I don't know about you guys, but this post makes it seem like Brandon and Faith were very close. Just the fact that he got her initials tattooed on him would make it seem like they were really good friends. So why did he not have her number saved in his phone? If they were so close that he got her initials tattooed, then why didn't he have her number saved? And this has been the thing that has always bothered me about this case. Faith refers to Brandon as Hey B in her text message. I think she may have even had his number saved as just B in her phone. And this implies that they were quite close. And yet he apparently doesn't have her number. I had been trying to wrap my brain around this for so long, and it was just that one thing about this case that always nagged me. But then I listened to Crime Weekly, and in that podcast, they propose that there are two ways that you can interpret Brandon's who's this response to faith. The first is that Brandon was asking, who is this, as in whose phone number is this? But the second is that Brandon is asking, who is this? As in, who is writing this? Who is sending this text? 
this doesn't sound like faith, so who is writing this? Because in Faith's text to Brandon, she is asking him to come over and be with Karina to show her that he cares. If Faith and Brandon had been flirting earlier that night at the club, if there was possibly something budding or already existing between the two of them, then Faith now asking him to come and see Karina could be confusing to him. Like, you were just flirting with me and now you want me to come and see your friend? So possibly the who's this wasn't a whose number is this so much as a is this really Faith writing this or someone else? So if that is the case, then that would give legs to the theory that Brandon and Faith were chatting or maybe flirting that night and Karina saw them. And Karina is pissed because that's her ex and maybe she still has feelings for him. So she makes up the excuse that she's sick and needs to leave the club. Then once they get home, an argument ensues and ends with Karina attacking Faith. Obviously, I don't know if this is what actually happened. Even if this were the case, there are still a lot of things that don't make sense to me. But this was a really compelling theory that like blew my mind when I heard about it, so I wanted to mention it here. The other theory that I think is possible is that maybe Karina didn't directly kill Faith, but was instead a witness to someone else killing her. Maybe it was someone she knew, maybe it wasn't, but whoever it was killed Faith and then told Karina don't say anything or you're next and so now Karina knows that she has to leave the apartment or she will be considered the main suspect so she calls Jordan and comes up with this alibi. I think this theory is less likely because of many of the issues we talked about before but I thought it was plausible enough to throw out there. So I think that brings us to the end of this episode. This case just truly breaks my heart, and I know that it is one of those cases that will stay with me for a long time. I can just tell what a caring and kind-hearted person Faith was from the countless amount of people who loved and cared for her. She made the world a better place, And I hope that one day, all of those who love her will be able to find justice and peace. If you have any information about the murder of Faith Hedgepeth, please contact Chapel Hill Police Department at 919-614-6363 or the Chapel Hill Crime Stoppers at 919-942-7515. Until then, you're listening to Crime on My Mind. Sources for this episode include Breaking Homicide's episode, Who Killed Faith? Crime Weekly Podcast, The Murder Squad Podcast, True Crime Daily on YouTube, and Danelle Hallen on YouTube.
it also said that the uh, ooh, uh, where? Okay. Uh, okay. And, okay. Hold on. I need water. 